Hello everybody and welcome to Bite-Sized Chunks of Faith. My name is John O'Pierce and in this podcast I want to share how having a Christian faith has brought hope and meaning and purpose to my life. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 100 of Bite-Sized Chunks of Faith. And who would have thought, kicking off this idea two years ago, we would be celebrating this special milestone today. With thousands of downloads, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has been listening regularly. Or if this is your first time dipping in, you'll find loads of back episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform that you get your podcasts on. Also want to give a big shout out today to my 12-year-old son, Connor, who helped me to choose the artwork for the podcast and got me going technologically. So big thanks to Connor. Well done, young man. And if you're joining us today for the very first time, our episodes are a mixture of reflections and interviews with interesting people as I try to share why having a Christian faith has brought hope and meaning and purpose to my life. And I have a very special guest that I'm very excited to introduce to you today. And I think I first met this person about 10 or 12 years ago when she came to our church to speak on behalf of an amazing agency called Christians Against Poverty. Christians Against Poverty is an organization that helps people to find solutions to working through the situation of debt if people find themselves in that very stressful and difficult place. And at that time, she lived in a neighbouring parish to where I work, where her husband was the rector. But in recent times, her husband has become the Bishop of Down and Dremore. And so today it is an absolute pleasure to welcome Mrs. Hilary McClay to the podcast. Hilary, you're so welcome. And thank you for joining us for this milestone episode. It's great to speak to you today. Jono, thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you. And for those who don't know you at all, Hilary, I wonder if I could invite you just to start off by introducing yourself a little bit, telling us where you've come from, a little bit about your family and when you came to Northern Ireland. So I was born in North London. Um, my father was a vicar in North London in a place called Finchley. And I lived there for a few years uh, with my mum and dad and my two younger brothers. And then we moved to the Cotswolds, to the one of the most beautiful places in England called Chipping Camden. And if you've ever seen pictures of the Cotswolds, you might have seen the beautiful golden Cotswold stone. So my childhood memories are made up of that. Um, uh, when I grew up and left school, I went off to university, came back to London and um, then in the eventually went to work for an organization called Spring Harvest, which is based in Sussex. And it was during that time that I met my husband, my now husband, David, and uh, he says he rescued me. Um, I didn't realize I needed rescuing, but there you go. And uh, since we got married, I've been living over here in Northern Ireland. But strangely enough, my my paternal grandmother was born in County Down and my um, paternal great grandfather was a rector of a little church, which is now one of the lamp churches 
around Downpatrick. So the family roots go back a long way. And I, there is a real sense, I think, for me coming home when we moved over here. So that that was uh, probably uh, an interesting experience to grow up in, in the rectory. And uh, when you mentioned the Cotswolds there, I know we have had a couple of family holidays in the Cotswolds, a beautiful part of, of the country. And I'm wondering, uh, with that experience of growing up in, in the rectory, when did when did faith become important in your life? And, and can you say a bit about how that happened? I have a very clear memory when we were on holiday in Cornwall one summer and there was a, a CSSM beach um, holiday activities for children. And in the course of that, I really felt um, that I wanted to make a decision for myself, that I wanted to be a Christian, that I knew my parents had faith. Uh, I heard of, about faith. I'd heard about Jesus. And I really believed that that was the step I wanted to take as probably a seven or eight year old child. I have a very clear memory of kneeling beside my bed and praying with my mother when we were on that holiday. But I suppose like many children, there was another point in my life where I needed to kind of, uh, I would say, write in pen what I'd perhaps written in pencil. And when I was in my late teens, again, I decided that I really wanted to make sure that the whole of my life, that Jesus was at the center of my life. Um, and I think at that point, I would say it was a little bit like what was my head knowledge moved from just my head uh, to my heart. And um, my, I'd like to say that from then on, my, my love for Jesus and my desire to follow Jesus has grown and grown with lots of um, slip ups on the way and lots of uh, two steps forward and one step back. But um, that was a very definite point when I said, this is it. I really want the whole of my life um, to be um, lived to his uh, honor and glory to the best of my ability. Marvellous. And, and I'm interested to hear about the, the CSSM connection. I, I served on a couple of teams on CSSM beach missions in, in Greystones in County Wicklow mm. uh, back in the early 90s, I think, about 1990 and 91. And uh, very, very special memories of, of being part of those teams. And I guess that kind of leads me into talk about um, the next question I was going to ask you about, and that is, if there are any particular people or, or writers that have had a, a significant impact on your faith over the years? Well, I ha would have to say that one of the people who probably influenced me most significantly um, was the late David Watson, who was both an author and a church leader. Uh, but for me, quite personally, he was my boss. Okay. When I'd left university, I had spent a year working for a church in the city of London, and he had done a, a, a mission week during that time. And on the back of that, and had also met my parents. And on the back of that, he wrote to me and asked if I would be willing to go and be his PA. So he and his family were moving at that stage from York to London. And so I had the privilege of being David Watson's PA for the last 18 months of his life wow. and working with him on the last two books that he wrote. I, I think I, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say it was the time in my life when I most looked forward to going to work in the morning because every morning I knew that there would be a few more pages of handwritten text on my um, keyboard of my computer 
which he had written over the previous few hours or previous day or two um, when he was writing his books. And I would have the privilege of being the first person to read them and to comment. And, and uh, he was extraordinarily gracious in how he gave me that opportunity. But sadly, during that time, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And perhaps that's where his impact on me was greatest, because um, I was watching this man who was a, a very well-known clergyman, very well-known preacher and author, and very well respected, who had talked to many others about the hope of heaven and how his faith in Jesus was real, and now was doing that in the context of battling terminal cancer. I remember he did a, a TV um, interview and he talked about the best is yet to be. And there was a very real sense in which I was watching this man working that out in practice, uh, along with his family and his children. My office was in their home. So I had the privilege of watching that um, firsthand. And I was uh, 23 at the time. And it, it was very transformational for me. Uh, it really did help me to work through some of those big questions about faith and life and hope um, and how our hope is certain and is not impacted by um, the pressures and the challenges and the difficulties of life that everybody faces. I think it would be fair to say that uh, when David had died, I remember saying to my mother, uh, you know, and I was 23, that's probably it. I don't think I'll ever do anything as significant again as the privilege it had been to work with him. And uh, my mother saying to me, you know, God never wastes anything. He'll have other things for you to do. And so I've tried uh, to take opportunities to do different things um, subsequently. And um, they've all been different and different stages of life, but always with that um, desire to try and see how my faith impacts how I live and how it impacts the people around me. That, that that's very powerful, Hilary, and 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 um, again, Dave, David Watson is a figure I know who's had a, a very significant impact on the church in this diocese. When there was a link with with uh, in the nineteen seventies, I think people in nineteen eighties people used to go across um, and sort of see the work that he he was doing. And I know I have uh, his his autobiography, Fear No Evil, about mm -hmm. that, that struggle, which sounds like you transcribed uh, some, of, some of those writings. And, and uh, that must have been a very powerful experience just to see see him firsthand in the midst of, of all of that. I'm um, going to move on and, and ask you maybe to say a little bit about how and when you met your husband, David. Tell us a bit about that. Well, um my husband had met my parents before he met me. Isn't that a strange thing? Yeah. Um, my mum and dad in retirement had the privilege of um, doing quite a lot with church leaders. And one of the things they were asked to do was to come over to Northern Ireland and to spend 10 days or so with a group of church leaders of different denominations. And David had been widowed a little time before that. And he was one of the people that came on that particular course and on the back of that, my mum and dad had said to him to come and visit them anytime he was in England. And he took them up on it very rashly. And uh, they were living not very far from London by now in retirement. And um, I was living in Sussex and had gone to visit them for the weekend and very nearly managed to escape before this strange visitor arrived. 
but we have a memory, both David and I, of standing talking in their hall for about 10, 15 minutes and finding out a number of different things in common. And amongst that, I was um, coming over to Northern Ireland a few weeks later to visit my cousin who lives outside um, uh, outside Kesh, actually, in, in County Fermanagh. And uh, so David had suggested meeting up and things like that. And, and I did. And that was the beginning of his rescue plan, as he says. Lovely, lovely. And um, one of the one of the favorite, I guess, movies in 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 our house, which we tend to watch pretty well every Christmas because it's usually on TV, is is a movie called the, the Bishop's Wife, and it was made back in nineteen forty seven, black and white. And um, David Niven, I know, plays the bishop, and um, and Cary Grant plays an angel in this movie. And Loretta Young is the bishop's wife. And, and it's a story really all about an overworked bishop who's who's stressed out by all the demands of, of his role. And he's visited by this angel, but he finds it really hard to share the burdens of his ministry. And, and his wife and his family feel quite challenged by seeing all that his work is doing to him. And uh, when I think about that film, I always think, uh, I know it's quite a challenge being a rector's wife sometimes and, and the expectations sometimes people might have, but it must be magnified even more being a bishop's wife, I would imagine. So what's it like being in this role, a new role again for you, I guess, in the last couple of years as, as a bishop's wife? Jono, I'd like to take you back to the week that David was elected bishop, which really was quite a surprise to us. And I remember the next morning waking up very early and realizing that David was awake and sitting up in bed beside me and looking at um, the many kind messages he'd received on his phone. And I looked at him and I said, David, how on earth have our lives come to this? How very, you know, it was, it was a very sort of unexpected um, step for for us and um you know it was only a, a few weeks later that we moved out of the rectory that had been our home for a long time and we moved initially into a temporary house and david was consecrated bishop and he got seven weeks before lockdown now i don't know looking back honestly if i had much idea of what being a bishop's wife was going to be like anyway but i had absolutely no idea as any of us did what it would be like um, in the face of a pandemic and what a bishop's life would be and how he then um, had to try to work out the ways that he could support the clergy and the retired clergy and um, when he couldn't visit anybody and when um, uh, when he was doing everything by Zoom or by, um, uh, you know, trying to record encouragements and messages and Lent talks and all of those things. We were living in this temporary house and I don't know, we must have moved the furniture around in the sitting room a million times to try and make it look like different rooms or for different um, broadcasts that he was doing. Um, but one of the things I think we did realize then was how very important it was that we prayed for people. And we probably prayed um, more for all the parishes and the clergy than we would have done if we'd been able to go out and visit because you, when you're with people sometimes you're so busy talking that you're forgetting 
the importance, the vital importance of praying for people. So that was one of the things that happened. Um, I think also for me, uh, the fact that we were in a position where we weren't able to have anyone in, we weren't able to mix with people, we weren't able to go and visit people, was very isolating. And I love being with people. So I found that a difficult season. And so as we've come out of that, I've loved the opportunity to invite people into our home and to have time with people. And we've been able to um, entertain quite a lot. And David's been able to use the house. Um, so I've done a lot more catering than I perhaps thought I would do, but I love having people in and I enjoy cooking. And as long as nobody minds too much um, and enjoys the welcome rather than thinking they're coming for a gourmet meal, then so far we've all done okay. So there has been that sense for me of, it's been a bit unexpected. Um, there's been a lot of change in life for me. And I think I probably feel I'm still in a place of transition and trying to work out what opportunities I might have um, during David's time as bishop. Um, we have really learned the vital importance of praying and having people that we can have pray for us and being able to have people um, in with, with some friends in different parts of the world who we can ring up and ask to pray. And that's just been incredibly important. Um, on, on a very personal level, my mum died quite suddenly last September. She was age 90, so she'd had a wonderful full life and um, we have no regrets from that point of view. But her death was quite sudden and quite a shock to me. And to know that people were praying and um, the number of wonderful messages and kind cards and stories and things, just, just people's kindness has been incredibly helpful to me. And I have been very humbled by the number of people who I perhaps don't even know, but who are a part of a one of our parishes or who in some way either had met my mother or just simply because they know David um, took the time and the trouble to contact me. And it was very much appreciated and made me realize that a diocese is in a very real way, a bit of a family mm -hmm. and um, that we can support and care for each other. Um, now there's lots of things that go on in David's world that I'm obviously not privy to because that wouldn't be appropriate, but I do recognize that his diary is a bit crazy and I do try to find out in advance when there are people coming for meals because, um, you know, I just or when I need to be here to open the door in case he's not all of those kind of simple things. But it's um, it's both an enormous privilege. And also you always want to make sure that what we do is helping people to know the welcome and the kindness of, of Jesus in how we deal with people as to the very best of our ability i do think you do do an amazing job with that and and i know i've been uh, one of the beneficiaries of your your hospitality uh, just before christmas i think and the thing that i i really remember is that you um you really tried hard to get us both there because we we'd had to make some rearrangements and then it ended up that ultimately it was only me who was able to get there but I just do remember um, the kindness and, and the thoughtfulness and, and the the warmth and, and loveliness of your, your hospitality. And, and lots of people, I think, will testify to that. And, and um, coming out of COVID, as you say, um, 
I sort of recognize that it has been an incredibly difficult time for everybody. But I know for for yourself and David, as you um, begin this new sort of chapter, you've you've had a lot of things to contend with, uh, with with moving house and and again, I know the loss of your your mum, which was, was such a shock to to everybody. Um, so it has been a difficult season, but I think you're you're, you're uh, really trying to enter into it and, and and sort of give your your all to it, which is is a wonderful thing, and. I guess when I sort of hear about that sort of the hectic nature of of your your life and and that desire to support David in all that he's doing, um, if you get any, what do you like to do in your spare time? You don't get too much, I don't think. Well, I I generally love to read, and so I am someone who reads a lot and have I, I have favourite novels that I reread, historical books. Um, and comic thing, you know, all sorts of stuff. Actually, that takes me back to how you started off introducing me um, and and the story of Christians Against Poverty. So maybe I'll just reference that because that came about for me, my involvement with with Christians Against Poverty came about because of a book that somebody gave us and I read when we were on holiday. And it's the story of how this uh, remarkable man, John Kirkby, true story, uh, started this really very significant um, work, Christians Against Poverty, to support people who were struggling with debt and people who were needing help with finance. And I remember reading the book and saying to David, we have to do this. If I do nothing else, I want to do, um, uh, to, to because I, I could recognise that so many of us find money difficult. So many people are under pressure financially um, and um, just felt that this was a very practical way that the church could reach out to people in the community who had no contact with the church at all. Um, and, and that was something that we were able to do in Willowfield and for me was a major part of my involvement, um, working with the trained and Um, very skilled debt coaches and helping people who were looking for jobs and working with people with all sorts of of needs. I think if if I was probably the thing I didn't say earlier was that for me, one of the things that's been important all the way through my life is that our faith should be relevant today and that we should be people who um, whose lives make a difference and that our faith should make a difference not only in how we live and how we treat other people, but it should be seen to make a difference. And so, um, you know, in Willowfield, we started one year, one harvest, um, we started a, a food store just simply because we recognised there were people who were coming to the rectory door who were struggling to feed their children. And this is probably 10 plus years ago. And so that year for harvest, we said, please don't bring fresh fruit and vegetables, bring tins. And we started a food store from that, which is still going to this day and different things like that, that just in a very practical way, the church is able to make a difference and to show something of the kindness of Jesus. Now, that all came out of reading this book on holiday and shows how reading has made quite an impact on me and and continues to do so. But I do also I love the theatre. I love um, music. I love cooking. I genuinely love cooking. And, you know, one of my occasional hobbies is that I make marmalade so this we're we're recording this at the very beginning of February and um, 
I spent quite a bit of time in January making marmalade from a recipe that my late aunt gave me. And so I've thought a lot about her while I've been doing that as well. So all sorts of, sort of different things, but I won't make marmalade again for another year because you, you have to wait till the, the several orange, um, the several marmalade oranges come into the shops in January before you can do it. So once it's done, it's done. That's a, a, a great hobby. I know my, my wife is a physio and uh, she sometimes works in the community and she goes to visit a particular person who makes uh, raspberry jam. <laughs> and uh, whenever she comes to treat her, she always sends her home with her with a pot of raspberry jam, which we're always delighted to have because it's it's really amazing. And uh, to the end of our chat, I wonder if there are any particular kind of verses of scripture or passages that have really helped you on your journey of faith that, that you'd like to share with people. My parents had a sundial that stood in their garden all the way through their lives. I think it was made of that beautiful Cotswold stone that I was talking about from our time in Chipping Camden and engraved in the bottom was a verse from Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I have always thought that that is the most wonderful summary of the Christian gospel, uh, that reminder that God's amazing love for us that sent Jesus to the cross in order to buy our salvation um, and his promise to give us all things, the life everlasting, life abundant, life in all its fullness, um, and that is available to all of us when we choose to follow him and love him. And so for me, that's been a very significant verse. Um, but also more recently, I've really loved a verse um, from the book of Numbers. It's, it's from Numbers chapter six, and it's known often as Aaron's blessing. And it became very significant to me during that period of lockdown, because there were musicians from all across the UK who recorded little bits of, uh, of a song of this, and it was put together uh, and known as the UK Blessing. Uh, but the, the verses from Numbers chapter six read like this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I found the song um, being sung over us, as it were, through the Internet, the, the wonders of the Internet, um, incredibly helpful and encouraging when those days of um, of the pandemic were quite scary and very isolating. And to know the Lord's blessing uh, to pray for others that the Lord would shine his face upon them and be gracious to them. And that encouragement that the Lord will give us his peace. So for, that has become a, a, a verse for this particular season for me. Um, and I suppose one of my prayers is that however this strange chapter of being the bishop's wife pans out in the next number of years for me, that I will able to be a person who brings Jesus peace and who prays for Jesus blessing upon the people who I meet and that we see God at work in all sorts of ways here in Down and Moor.
I think that's a really good place for us to to draw to a close. But I just want to say thank you so much for for sharing with us this afternoon. And thank you for being so open and so honest and just for, for bringing all those insights to us. So thank you so much for your time and I hope you have a brilliant rest of the day and a lovely weekend. Thanks, Hilary. Thanks. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. And if you were kind enough to hit follow or subscribe or even leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, that'd be greatly appreciated. Join me again next week for another bite-sized chunk of faith.